Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, a professor, and a chaplain, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today we are going to be talking about the tactics, the strategies, and the methodologies that leftist progressives employ to win in the culture wars. So Aaron, can you help us, as we start out here, set the direction for this conversation? What exactly are you hoping to cover today? Well, let's start by just defining what what I mean by leftism. So by leftism, I mean those that would cast off, for example, divine biblical authority as the basis of law who would generally denounce or have a low view of nationhood and would favor more of a globalist, utopian kind of an ideal, who would deny God-endowed rights, objective moral standards that would be grounded in something outside of humanity, those that would put very little emphasis on individual fiscal responsibility and instead advocate for an economic view that the state is sort of responsible for the economic well-being of its citizens, and a downplaying or, frankly, denial of biblical justice. The left-leaning crowd talks a lot about justice, but their justice is not the same kind of justice as we would Mm -hmm. expect to ground and base law in, because our understanding of justice is grounded and founded in our creator's understanding of justice. So in denying those things, the left generally falls into more of like what we would call a neo-pagan hedonist worldview. So neo-pagan would be kind of a revival of the old pagan religions that would involve a man-centered, a pantheon of gods, and an emphasis on hedonism, especially in the area of sexuality and human freedoms. They tend to be statists. So everyone, every culture and every society and every worldview needs to appeal to an authority. They would appeal to the state often as the arbiter of morality. They would emphasize radical individualism instead of more of a collective understanding, like a responsibility to the collective whole. And frankly, are anti-Christian. So that would be what I mean by leftism, and obviously there would be others that would have different definitions, but I think they would more or less overlap. So what I would want to do in this podcast is help people to think through the tactics or strategies that the left tends to employ, and they repeat themselves, as they're seeking to win the cultural wars. If you think about it, the culture wars that we're fighting are a collection of ideologies and they have certain goals in mind. Those goals aren't always objective, they're often subjective, but there's a collection of ideologies that they have in mind. United together, we often call it wokeism. And that wokeism, those ideologies are expressed in the political realm through the media, they've infiltrated religion, they've infiltrated education, they've infiltrated our courts, and really all spheres of society. They've infiltrated even the family. Now, as we think about these ideologies, 
that the left promotes, sometimes we fail to think about the strategies that they're using to promote those ideologies. And I want to I want us to think through, I want our listeners to think through the patterns and the lies that are generally used by the left in order to get a win. I think it's important for us to identify their tactics so that we can learn from them and offer an adequate response. In some respects, just like in war, we want Christian people to become intelligence officers, mm -hmm. to understand, to dissect, to ascertain the enemy's strategies. And out of that, to become more strategic ourselves in the way we respond to the challenges of our current day. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, we'll be able to come up with our own ideas that are better in the beginning. But <laughs> I know what you mean uh, in terms of looking at their strategies, right? Yes, so exactly. And if, if, if nothing else, if I could just be overly simplistic, having a strategy is something we can learn from the left. Mm -hmm. Many Christians are so heavenly minded, as someone has said many, many decades ago, they're, they're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly value, meaning that we tend to focus so much on getting to heaven and getting people saved and getting out of here that we fail to be strategic in the physical realm. We're strategic when it comes to feeding ourselves and heating ourselves and cooling ourselves and clothing ourselves. We're very strategic when it comes to caring for our individual physical needs, but we tend to get all super spiritual when we start having conversations about our collective social physical needs and we back away from politics or we back away from education or law or public debate because we have this weird notion that that's not part of our job, that that's, that's not part of our calling, that the, you know, the whole of scripture has nothing to say about political engagement or social change, even though Jesus was what we would now call politically charged mm -hmm. when he declared himself to be king of kings. I mean, that really ruffled some feathers. Remember his triumphant entry, triumphal entry into Jerusalem, that, that ruffled some feathers. So based upon this, the broader scriptural ethic that we are incarnated beings, we're physical, we do live in a real world. We do concern ourselves with individual physical concerns in the same way we want to encourage people to concern themselves with the broader, shall we say, physical or um, concerns that relate to life in the here and now. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if we were to take a trip behind enemy lines, so to speak, what, what would be some of the strategies that we're looking for? One of the things that the left does really well is secure state funding. We often hear people who are opposed to the Christian church say things like, take away their tax status. In making that declaration, they are wrongly assuming that our tax-exempt status as Christian churches is a gift from the state. That's false. Tax-exempt status is not a gift from the state. Tax-exempt status is a result of the fact that we are Christ's embassy, and you don't tax an embassy. So tax exemption emphasizes that the church is, in fact, separate from the state with regard to its spheres of authority, and its emperor, its king, directly is Christ. And uh, you don't, just like you don't tax a foreign embassy that sets up its structures on a, on foreign soil, so you don't tax the church. So there's nothing to do with us wanting to save money. 
We're, the, the Christian church is not short on money. It's not about saving money. It's not about trying to get a deal. The tax exemption has to do with authority. But while we experience those criticisms at times from the left, it's interesting how quick they are to readily take taxpayer funds. So one of the groups that has gotten some media attention over the past couple of years is this new group called the uh, Canadian Anti-Hate Network here in Canada. I call it the Pro-Hate Network because essentially they just love the things that we hate and hate the things that we love. Mm -hmm. And this particular group uh, has has is known to have taken money from the government. Uh, they actually have a disclaimer on their website. Well, we we just took it, you know, the one time or whatever. Now we no longer do. Well, the the bottom line is they they receive significant money from an anti-racist fund that the government set up to promote their objectives, and therefore they simply cannot claim to be objective. They've lost their integrity because they are receiving funding from the state. And the, the, the location or the, the source of that funding is the taxpayer. So these groups lack integrity in that they, they take money from the taxpayers. They take money from working class people to try to fund their ideologies. The same is true of, um, we covered this in a previous contest uh, uh, podcast, the uh, Canada's 2S LGBTQ plus action plan offers a million, $100 million in taxpayers' funds to various groups. So uh, I, I appreciated a podcast I listened to recently by the Ezra Institute where Andre Schutten, one of the lawyers for ARPA, mentioned that, you know, if you were a group that just decided that you wanted to target Christian homeschoolers or Christian schoolers and you wanted to promote the gay agenda in Christian education. You could apply to the state theoretically for funding and start your attack ads and your bullying and your you know your legislative efforts and all sorts of things. This is funded by the state. Fortunately, faithful churches fund themselves, but these organizations are disingenuous because they actually take our money as taxpayers to fund themselves. And they're not particularly good at how they spend that money. You might recall that back in 2019, that the uh, City News uh, Toronto reported that Pride Toronto, which is a huge organization that runs the, the gay pride rally annually and is involved in various initiatives, took an astonishing, received an astonishing 1.85 million Canadian dollars in grants to promote things like artwork that advocated for their ideology in Toronto. And here's a quote from that news article where by a third party group explored, kind of investigated and discovered that there was some misappropriation or misuse of funds. It says, quote, Pride Toronto could not provide enough documentation to prove it completed several proposed projects after receiving the grants, end quote. How, how often do we get away with that? You know, we, we, we have to be audited annually by an external organization. We have to submit extensive reports to the government. And it's our money. So we're reporting to the government on how we spend mm -hmm. money that we gave. It's super weird. But these groups receive taxpayer money and get away with this kind of stuff. Now, I'm, I'm here in Canada, but I have an American listenership and also in a few other locations um, I know there's some people in Holland and whatnot that listen too. So I want to give some other 
illustration. So in the US, the government has created what's called a global equity fund. And I looked this up and here's the description of the global equity fund. Quote, the global equity fund provides critical resources to civil society organizations, CSOs, and human rights defenders, including those working to increase the visibility and empowerment of queer women, transgender and other gender diverse people, intersex people, and the members of other LGBTQI plus communities, while advancing and protecting the fundamental principle of human rights for all. Let me just pause there and say that's obviously not true, because if you put up your hand and say, um, can, can I question those ideologies? I disagree with them on moral grounds. You're hateful. Like they, they automatically apply, this is where the, the, the Canadian anti-hate network is so non-scholastic in that in their title, it's a motive word which is very, how, how do you know whether I hate or love or dislike or I'm angry or you're imposing a moral judgment upon my actions, which you don't have the capacity to do unless you're God and you have omniscience. You don't have the capacity to look inside the soul of someone and say, the words that came out of your mouth are hateful. You could say they're, they're lies. You could say they're false. But these groups are masters of judging motives and then try to put you back on your your heels to try to defend yourself. Oh no, I'm not I'm not hateful, I'm loving. I'm just trying to point out some flaws in your ideology. They don't do that. Anyway, mm -hmm. back to the quote. In over 100 countries worldwide, the GEF provides emergency assistance to individuals and organizations under threat or attack. Small grants for grassroots CSOs and the human rights programming grants to meet the needs of LGBTQ I plus communities with long-term targeted support. So notice that this global equity fund is not about equity, it's about an ideology. It's about an ideology of a particular group that gets all kinds of media attention, that takes money from taxpayers, that has always got their hand out. Chris, the bottom line is this whole pride movement, LGBTQ or 2S, whatever you wanna call it, these movements, this is, this is a money-making scam. The, these groups are making money hand over fist, collecting donations in order to forward their ideology, and it's providing a lot of employment for, for woke leftists. Mm -hmm. They're cheats is what they are. They take money from their opponents to fund their agendas. That's unfair. It may be pragmatically advantageous, but it's unfair. It's foul play. And frankly, it undermines their integrity. So they need, I, I, would, I would say, because I do believe, um, some of these members listen to this podcast and others because they're they're trolls and they're they're looking for they're looking for smut they're looking for dirt on us. So I would just say to them, look, go ahead and promote your agenda and let's have a robust debate about it. But at least have enough integrity to stop taking money from your opponents, including other taxpayers, to fund your your agenda. Let's play fair. Okay, so that's definitely not a strategy we're adopting, <laughs> as Correct. you made clear. Uh, what would you talk about their strategy politically? Yeah, let me just make one little comment that comes to mind. This is why we were morally and theologically opposed to churches that took money from the state during the COVID-19 pandemic lockdowns. Because as soon as you, knowingly or unknowingly, take money from the state to fund your salaries, to fund your ministry, you, you are beholden to them. And even if in your heart you're like, no, I'm not beholden to them, the optics are that you are beholden to them. So there must be a separation 
of state funding and church funding, and I'm a big advocate for that. And in my younger years, I didn't think too much about that. It just wasn't on my radar. But I, I would refuse to take any money from the state in order to fund our ministry. What I would readily do is argue on theological grounds that the idea of taxing this, the church as if it's subject to the state is wrong. And by the way, as a little sidebar for those that might be interested in this conversation, if the, the, the evidence is out, there's been research done on this. There's a group, I think, out of London, Ontario, I think it was called the HALO group that researched this. If you actually do start taxing churches, you will automatically, if you want to provide the same equivalent social uh, um, services, and massively increase taxation. Because I, th I think, don't quote me on this, but it's somewhere around for every dollar the church spends on ministry and help within the community, whether it's salvaging marriages or meeting tangible needs or counseling people in finances or whatnot or, or advocating for the the nuclear family, you you save the taxpayer three bucks. So what would actually happen is if the state started to go after the church and say, we're gonna tax you, okay, we'll, we'll pay the taxes. It doesn't rock our boat. On principle, it would, but the the numbers don't matter to us too much because God will provide. But you can you can have fun paying more taxes because the, the services rendered that nonprofits like churches provide to the community come at far cheaper of a price than any state funded mm -hmm. government efforts to do the same thing. We all know that when the government runs a program, it's always incredibly expensive. Mm -hmm. So. If the church runs a soup kitchen, the government can run one too, but it's gonna cost you three times as much. If the state has an interest in the viability of the family and the church has an interest in the viability of the family, it's gonna cost a whole lot more money for the state to run those programs than the church and so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. So what was the next question? Uh, politically. Oh, politically. How, how do they okay. behave politically? So while well, they get elected and they actually understand that elected office offices matter, politics is not, so when I say politics, I'm not talking about so much about partisan politics or just elections and having an office, but politics is woven through all of life. It's the decisions, the structures, the strategies that govern human civilizations. Christians often balk at political engagement. They see it as something that's way off over in, uh, in, you know, in a different realm that has no bearing on, on life. But the... Leftists are smarter than many right-leading people in this regard in that they understand the impact that pol political decisions have upon everyday life. Everything from how you raise your kids to manage your wealth to taxation issues to freedom issues to liberty to declarations of morality or immorality to definitions of marriage those are all very much connected to political decisions. And so they do a really good job in, in running for office. And frankly, while we oppose them, they're to be commended for that. They're very strategic in that regard. Let me give you some examples. In the US, there's a group called the Victory Fund. And here's what they say. Quote, LGBTQ Victory Fund works to achieve and sustain equality by increasing the number of openly LGBTQ elected officials at all levels of government, while ensuring they reflect the diversity of those they serve. 
end quote. They're active in this. They're actively funding LGBTQ candidates for municipal, state level, and federal office. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. There's been some movement in our spheres to get more people into political office. And this past election, this past uh, municipal election, there was a lot of people that were like, look, we got to get back on the school boards because we're sick and tired of these woke ideologies being forced upon our children. Well, immediately the left goes on the attack and put, you know puts out all these articles. Oh, we got to be terrified because these, you know, anti-trans, homophobic uh, people are trying to get individuals back on the school boards, which is so it's so laughable because it, if you if you rewind the clock even like thirty years. You, you would you would have people that would say I don't I don't really care if someone's transgender or if someone's homosexual or whatever I, I have no moral objection to that but you you would never have somebody labeling an individual who stood for heterosexual normalcy or for the nuclear family as some some sort of a fringe weirdo that needs to be ejected from society it's amazing how quickly they've they've spun the narrative and twisted the logic and and inversed or reversed the moral precepts the goal of this organization by the way that i mentioned um on their website is quote we work to build long-term lgbtq political power by helping elect lgbtq leaders at every level of government so notice they're thinking long term they're strategic they're playing the long game and they don't give up and they're relentless so that's a strategy that's in the u.s in Canada, it's all through our political structures as well. As I mentioned, we did the podcast on the action plan. The liberal government on a federal level in our country is hell-bent, and I think that's a good word, hell-bent mm-hmm. at funding and promoting these ideologies in culture. Even in the Conservative Party of Canada, which is supposed to be the kind of the polar opposite or the, the balance to the liberals, uh, one of the MPs, Melissa Lanceman, who's sort of rose to prominence and is sort of in the shadow cabinet of the new conservative leader, I mentioned this before, tweeted out a couple years back, happy pride Toronto with a rainbow coming down on Toronto and signed it off as God, as if God, by sending a rainbow over Toronto, was endorsing the pride movement. So these these are examples um, that um, are, you know, everyone has sort of seen these things and they're, they're getting people into office. And frankly, a lot of folks in, on the right side of the political and ideological spectrum are, are so ignorant or naive to think that, well, it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference who, who gets into office. It doesn't make a difference who gets into power. I don't want to speak out against politics. I don't want to speak out you know, in partisan politics. It's not, partisan's kind of a, a strange word. It's about it's about good and evil is what it is. It's, and I'm not saying that there's a particular party that represents right. goodness and a spe- specific party that represents all that is evil. I'm not saying that. But these political decisions are good versus evil. Even when it comes to the media, nobody announces, hey, you know, headline, a uh, heterosexual happily married man was elected as the premier or heter- heterosexual happy married man was elected as the governor. That, that doesn't make the headlines. Mm-hmm. But instead, they the media is always likely to highlight the leftist ideologies. So 
you know, a black woman, first one to be elected to such and such an office, because it fits that BLM cultural Marxist narrative. Even in the US, a Democrat attorney, they announced um, Attorney General Maura Healey has been elected as the governor of Massachusetts, making history as a nation's first openly lesbian governor. Like on a certain level, the, you could ask the question, who cares? Well, we do care because they're highlighting it. That's what they want. Like on, on one hand, how would you even know, unless you directly ask the question of a new governor, do you sleep with men or women? Like, do you sleep with same-sex people or opposite-sex people? You, you tip in, in typical discourse, that wouldn't be a question that would come up. Mm -hmm. But they highlight these these individuals' sexuality because it forwards that agenda, that ideological agenda. They want to create a world. Strangely, they want to create, create a world on one hand where gender is fluid and there's no acknowledgement of true gender and you can be 70-some-odd genders, except they'll never speak positively of heterosexuality. That's not in the acrostic. It's not in the LGBTQ acrostic. It, that's the one that creational... And it's because it's a there's a spiritual dimension. That's yeah. the one God created, and exclusively the one that God endorses. That's a that's a religious statement from Scripture. But for the sake of our ideological wars, it is interesting that that's the one group that doesn't get any stage time, that doesn't get any media attention. They're, they're sort of framed up as the bad guys, and everything that was historically deviant is now in vogue. And we literally have people even in our own city running for municipal office, their, their entire plat, this one young girl, her entire platform was about that aspect of her quote unquote identity. Mm -hmm. Not about, you know, where does she, what is her skill sets in the area of economics? Has she ever owned property? Does she, has she, does she pay her own cell bill? Does she understand governance? Does she understand public policy? No, it's just, she's an ideologue. And apparently you're qualified to run for office now just because you're, you know, you're a woman that has sex with women, or you're a man that has sex with men. So, these are these are concerns. Mm -hmm. So, when it comes to education, you wanted to speak about that because I know education is obviously a big part of their strategy that we've seen over the last few years. Well, there's no question about the fact that the leftists have infiltrated our educational institutions. They have. And this is why, en masse, people have pulled their kids out of public education in the last few years. They're just fed up with it. You know, homeschooling used to be kind of nerdy, now it's super cool. It's like, what? You don't send, you don't homeschool? Now, to be more accurate, what we really mean by that is parental schooling. Because through parental schooling, you might choose to literally homeschool your children yourself, or you might be part of some cooperative where you share that um, responsibility but take ultimate authority for for that or you may have a classical christian school or a christian school or you may i suppose in a certain jurisdiction be in a public school and be like be the principal of a school or the superintendent of education yeah. or on this parent teacher council or whatnot so but we we do this because we understand that m mindsets who, who has more time with us than our schools in those formative years mm-hmm if when I was a kid, we'd go to school, I think we started around nine o'clock or 8.30, I can't remember exactly, and you'd, you'd end at 3.30. So you had six and a half to seven hours, let's say, of time in the public school or the Catholic school. I actually went to both. 
And in those, in that period of time, you're, you're learning things. You're being exposed to certain ideologies and perspectives and you're getting educational content. You're building friendships and there's a social dimension and all of that. Well, my parents didn't have t- that much time in the evening to debrief and unpack what I'd learned or ask questions. In fact, they really didn't generally ask questions about that because the educational processes were a little safer back then. But the parent that sends their kid to the public state for education and their kids get six or seven hours of indoctrination and then they send their kids to youth group for an hour on Friday night or Sunday school for an hour on Sunday morning, there's no way you can counterbalance that. Mm-hmm. And what's happened, what's different about the young people today compared to when I was growing up is the rest of their day is generally filled up with more exposure to those ideologies, primarily on social media, mm-hmm. whether it's Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. And these ideologies literally are just in their faces and in their ears all day long sometimes even into the wee hours of the night. Even video games used to be, you know, a bunch of cars racing around a track or little asteroids falling and you shoot them out of the air. But now there's sexuality and violence, all sorts of things that are in the video games that that shape the mindset and the worldview. So now we have so many Christian kids who don't actually think like Christians. And many of their parents don't think like Christians either, and they don't even know it. Mm-hmm. it. In fact, when I say they don't think like Christians, they don't even know what that means because that's so, such a foreign concept. Doesn't thinking like a Christian mean that you memorize Bible verses? Well, that's important, but do they have an actual Christian worldview? Worldview studies are, are really important. Do they have a philosophy of life and economics and marriage and family and law and politics? and recreation and Sabbath mm-hmm. time that is reflective of biblical law. And, and many don't, mm-hmm. many don't. We've seen that over the past couple of years. Now, I wanna give you a couple examples. And um, these aren't meant to scare, it's just meant to kind of bring back onto people's radars th- this reality. So I, I, um, I'll i just use our, our local university, the University of Windsor as an example. Let's, let's look at the um, the social work faculty. So the social work faculty, one would expect social social work is generally the place where a lot of these woke ideologies or whatever the ideologies are creep up. My daughter did study sociology there; she can affirm this. But if if you just go go on go on to the average university website and just look up the, the faculty profiles, and there's there are areas of specialty or research interest. It's cluttered up with wokeism. So the University of Windsor social work faculty, I I went through some profiles and looked at their scholarly interests and it's things like Aboriginal issues and gender and critical feminism and anti-racial theory and anti-oppressive theory. And now all all of these issues are tied to that woke woke agenda. They're often tethered with a very thin tether to some genuine injustice mm-hmm. that we would also oppose or some genuine issue, but then they are manipulated and twisted for a neo-pagan, a utopian, a hedonistic, a radical, individualistic, an anti-nationalist, a pro-globalist, on and on and on agenda. Mm-hmm. So many might say, well, of course, there's, there's, that's the social work faculty. I mean, you know what social workers are like, right? This, it's this, it's a soft science. Okay, well, let's go to the law faculty. And you look at the, the research profiles of the law faculty, 
And you see language like um, diversity and inclusion. They're interested in racial profiling, women and justice, activist justice, climate change law, indigenous law, anti-discrimination. That's all wokeism. And that has invaded the law faculty. And I have a friend who also studies in a high level a PhD in, the, in one of the science faculties. And she would say it's there too. It's everywhere. It's in every faculty. These ideologies are pervasive. They're like, it's like a person, a person can have cancer, let's say in the liver, and that's it. And then there's others where the cancer just rushes through the body and it's everywhere. This woke ideology, these leftist ideologies aren't limited to the social work faculty. They're everywhere. It's interesting, University of Windsor doesn't even have a religious faculty anymore. Hmm. But the, those religious, otherwise what we would call religious ideologies infect all of the other faculties. Now, Chris, let me, let me just step back and, and make this observation. Most people that end up in positions of influence in culture are well-educated. So if you wanna be a lawyer, a physician, a public school teacher, a university professor, probably if, you know, it, it depends, but if you're running a large corporation, you might have your, your um, bachelor's degree in business or an MBA or something like that. So generally speaking, the people that we would consider to have the biggest profiles, mm -hmm. to be the most influential, have a fair bit of education. And we're not anti-education per se, but what it does is if all the major universities in a country like Canada are corrupted with these ideologies, and it doesn't take very long for every level of society to be infected by people who think this way. Mm -hmm. And what happens is they, they become sort of the intellectual elite of culture, and those that are not as well-schooled, that may not be as infected with this, this disease of wokeism, aren't as articulate, maybe don't have the research skills, don't have the platform. And the, the woke elite love to highlight people like that. So the interesting thing about the truckers convoy, for example, is it was not just a conflict between pro-charter, pro-freedom people and pro-statists in government. It was also a conflict between the blue collar, the largely lesser educated and the university elitists. Mm. And what the university elitists do is they control the courts, they control the um, you know emergency act inquiry, they control all, they control the police, they control all of the structures that, that have, have power to be wielded for the good of the bad over culture. And they then can easily oppress the quote unquote uneducated, and what they do then, of course, is they 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 drag out of the the truckers convoy someone that's not a good thinker, someone that said some very stupid things, someone that doesn't present himself well, like Pat King, and they sort of prop him up as the archetype, mm -hmm. anti-elitist, anti-establishment liberty fighter. So when you look at it, you have a very sophisticated, poised, you know, well-spoken lawyer series of lawyers and they're they're interviewing people that are that are don't have those capacities they didn't go through the woke institutions they're they, they actually 
so, some of them are are very intelligent people, but they don't have that elitist snobbery about them. So we, what we have, you could put it another way, is we're governed by the cult of the experts. The experts in our culture are the ones that have the high education. They don't acknowledge, they're not honest about how much they've been affected, infected by these ideologies. And while they, they go on and on and on about being anti-discrimination, anti-bullying, and anti-oppression, they actually are extremely oppressive and ex extreme bullies as they uh, put, you know, put their noses up and look down upon the trucker. You know, what, what does a trucker have to do with society? I mean, who cares what a trucker thinks? You know, some guy with a, a you know, beer belly and BO, like, why do we care about what that guy thinks? Why do we care about what some Christian homeschooling mom thinks? I mean, she doesn't even know when to stop having kids. I mean, how naive of her does she not realize the, the carbon impact that she's having when she has three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten kids? Uh, you know, Pastor Aaron Rock, what does he know about science? He's a theologian, and we all know that theology is just a mishmash of sentimental drivel. So why, why would we care about what a person like that thinks? I mean, these, these, are, these are losers, essentially losers in society. So the university system, to summarize, controls who becomes part of the elite. The elite then controls and dominates and dictates culture including morality mm -hmm. and legislative law. And whenever the average man puts his hand up who is just trying to raise his family or abide by basic creational biblical norms, he's denigrated and he's pushed down as being uneducated. And then of course, I mean, we could talk about this ad infinitum. They control the ability for private educational institutions to, to be accredited, mm -hmm. uh, to be recognized. They license almost every uh, vocation these days, so you, you have you're like forced into their their funnel in order to get your licensure in order to perform almost any job, and so increasingly they it's an incredibly oppressive paradigm actually where the elitists the wokeites are controlling so much of life. So that's important for people to um, to be aware of that. Mm -hmm. uh, we mentioned and you mentioned just a little bit about media and how kids after school you know they're getting pumped full of media would have. Obviously, one of their strategies has also been to take over media. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, this is why we have people call it legacy media, which is maybe too positive of a term, or the mainstream media. Uh, and, you know, you look at the – I would just encourage – so let's say someone's listening to this podcast that's, that's an opponent of mine, okay? And, but you're an opponent. You are a leftist. You are part of the anti-hate network or the, the pride movement or whatever. If you really want to understand how people like us think, just step back for a moment and actually read the headlines. Like read read how those headlines are framed in, in order to promote a certain agenda. This is why people call it fake news. It's not it's it's not the greatest term because fake news sometimes means that can mean that someone's like made up a story that doesn't exist. It's not so much that. It's that there's always a spin, an ideological spin mm -hmm. on it. And because many of our, pretty much all of our journalists went to the elitist schools, the public schools to earn their journalism degrees, and those media companies are often funded by corporate dollars and they sort of got a toe of a line. Like the, the leftism is, 
is all over the place. The 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 spin, the the the, the snide remarks against right leaning conservative people, the the elevation, the the exaggeration of injustice, the exaggeration of public emergency, the uh, you know, going out in a crowd of freedom fighters and finding that one weirdo mm -hmm. who has a Nazi flag or is a racist and propping him up as the prototype of everyone else that's there. Or, you know, you, I know when I was at some protests, the media would be like, hey, I want to interview you. And I'd start talking reasonably and their eyes would just sort of glaze over and they'd just go off to find someone else and you'd never show up in the news. Mm -hmm. Because if you speak with half a brain, it just doesn't fit their narrative. They They want... They want someone that's provocative. They want someone that's unintelligent. They want someone that's kind of a nut job that, you know, has various issues in their lives or a criminal record. Um, they want that because it it helps to advance the narrative, and they don't they don't highlight like when was the last time you ever saw uh, a, a media company do an expose on some let's say. I'm not suggesting that all people involved in the pride movement are pedophiles. Okay, I'm not suggesting that, but some are, just like in many aspects of culture. So when when is the last time you had? Hey, let's expose pedophilia among LGBTQers. Let's expose that. Like let's let's post profiles of um, people that have been convicted of pedophilia that march in pride parades. Let's um, let's create person of interest reports for drag queens. See if they have a criminal record check. No, they they create person of interest reports for me. And post it online, which read away. It's, it's, it's not particularly dramatic, right? Mm -hmm. I got a speeding ticket a couple times. Oh, wow, real bad guy. Um, but they do stuff like that, and it's it's all that spins. The media is is mm -hmm. um, definitely part of the problem. Now, on the other hand, you got you have you do have some good media outlets like alternative media. I, th I really appreciate what guys like Andrew Lawton do here in Canada. But then you have some independent journalists that, frankly, are not helping mm -hmm. because they they do exaggerate their criticisms of the left or make up stories or try to read between the lines or you know fall into un. Obviously, there's conspiracy theories that turn out to be true, but until it then it's not a conspiracy theory anymore. It's fact. So I'm not into promoting things unless I absolutely know it to be true. And I'm not going to promote things uh, just because some guy posted some grainy video on YouTube or on Rumble. Uh, you know, they got a lot of likes. So mm -hmm. we have to be careful about not genuinely promoting disinformation and misinformation. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. What ways would you find the left in uh, disingenuous? I think we've mentioned maybe a couple of examples, but. Yeah, I, I would say one of the, the things we've seen this past week, I've been watching a little bit of the, um, here in Canada, I think everybody around the world knows about the trucker's convoy and then sort of a last minute, the prime minister invoked the emergency act, which is pretty unprecedented, which is unprecedented and can't accept for one situation in Quebec years ago. And it didn't, what did it last for a day or two? Mm -hmm. I can't remember. It was very short. So now that that triggers a, an inquiry to see if that was legitimate, see if it was an abuse of power and whatnot. Now in that inquiry, uh, the mayor of Windsor, for example, was talking about how the leader of Harvest Bible Church, obviously referring to me, and, and then he goes on to say, I don't even know if he's still there, which is like, really? <laughs> but um, the mayor of Windsor mentioned that I was involved in the um, Ambassador Bridge 
protest. I'm not going to call it a blockade. That's false language. There, because just as the uh, deputy police chief mentioned, it was it was uh, a partial blockade. I was not part of organizing it for the record, but I did go down to pray and to advocate for people that um, couldn't cross and that had been mistreated by the state. And he goes on to talk about how like this guy puts a call out and all these people show up and the, the protest lasted for, I couldn't believe. And all these kids were there in February and it's cold. And this is the same guy that never even bothered showing up to talk to anybody. And then uh, in a separate clip, the I believe it was the acting deputy chief was talking about how this language of they found some social media posts that essentially was indicating that people were advocating for bringing kids down as human shields. So all of us gets convoluted and you have this crazy manufactured, completely dishonest, disconnected from history and reality allegation that somehow I, as a pastor of a church, think about this. I'm asking for people to bring their kids down to be used as human shields against the police. Like, Think about how absurd and ridiculous that is and how easily that would be disproven by photographic evidence. So you get one photograph, bunch of kids lined up. I don't even know what that was about. I never saw that. But it's unimaginable to them that just average moms and dads with little kids are concerned about their children's future and they want to go down and they want to show their children and they want to show that this is a family event, that we want our liberties and freedoms back. But the spin is let's let's attack people and make them into these ogres and bad guys. Let's take the let's apparently the, the chief was also talking about some incident in a parking lot where a bunch of guys stepped out with tire irons. I've never heard of that, but let's assume it's true. Okay, well, you're going to get a few nut jobs in, in any large group of people, like of, of course. So if if you had someone that genuinely said, I'm bringing my kid down as a human shield, or a couple guys that step out with tire irons threatening the police, again, I never saw any of that. I never saw that disgust, never saw any of that sentiment at all. But in all honesty, wouldn't you then follow that up and say, but they were the exception to the rule? Like we saw hundreds of people and they were peaceful and they were, you know, they were courageous and they, you know, we didn't agree with them or we did agree with them. But this idea, it's it's disingenuous to take, again, I'll just say the, the odd weirdo or nut or singular social media post and try to somehow tar and feather the whole group with that. It's just, it's just not, it's not fair. It's dirty pool is what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the kind of thing that frustrates people or, you know, in Ottawa, when when whoever that guy was, mask guy that showed up with a Nazi flag, whether he was a a, a counter protester or whatever, he's not symptomatic of the whole. But that's the guy the media cameras are on mm-hmm. for two or three days. Yeah, and it's like they they just can't stomach the fact that most people there are farmers and truckers and factory workers and small business owners, and by the way, police officers that were off duty and firefighters. Mm-hmm and politicians that disagreed and medical doctors and nurses and pastors and all sorts of people from all walks of life from different political affiliations, basically saying, leave us alone, like enough's enough. But the spin in all of that is is disingenuous. So how I would frame this up is when they showcase the exceptions to the rule as representatives of the whole movement, That is fake news. And that's a lie. But that's one of the tactics that the the, the left loves to employ. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we've talked about politics, some education, 
that kind of stuff. What about um, banking? Because I know you, we've talked about that before. Sure. Um, well, one would think that an institution that exists to hold your funds, help you pay your bills. Now, they obviously make money off it through interest and investments. Would be like the most objective, morally neutral institution in society. Oh yeah, we understand there'd be some corruption in schools or politics, but but banks, nah, banks, no, they they they, they wouldn't be connected to the to the leftist ideology. Well, if if you think that, you're wrong. The the banks are full throttle supporters mm-hmm. of leftist ideologies, and it's 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 scary on a on an economic level. Back in 2014, one of our big newspapers, the Global Mail, recorded uh, reported this quote: "For nearly a decade, Toronto Dominion banks—that's TD Bank—they have American. I think they just go by TD Bank in the U.S. But Toronto Dominion's bank chief executive officer has been very vocal about his support, shocking senior managers in 2005 with a speech about the need to defend gay rights." running ads that feature same-sex couples breaking down crying at annual pride events for TD employees, end quote. That was years ago. And after this uh, chief executive officer, the CEO came out, he's supposed to be running a bank. Mm -hmm. But his big thing is we got to support the pride movement. Well, since then, it's become standard fare. In North America, on both sides of our border, J.P. Morgan, Scotiabank, Royal Bank, Wells Fargo, TD Bank, and on and on and on, promote and fund the pride movements, the Marxist BLM movements. They advocate for pronouns. In fact, if you go to TD USA's site, it says, and I quote again, progress for the LGBTQ2 plus community continues, but there's still much more to be done, and TD's all in. End quote. And if you go to Toronto, to Toronto's gay village, painted on the entire wall, all around the windows and door, doors of the TD Bank, there is is the gay flag, which has so many colors. Now I don't know what they if they call it a rainbow flag anymore. Uh, this year in Canada, there was an individual, I believe it was in Alberta, by the name of uh, Gary Duke, who, uh, and at the time I I had an, an account at Scotia Bank as well, and when you open your um, your app doing during Pride Month, which turned into like Pride Summer, there would be like a gay flag that would show up on the emblem. Mm-hmm. So he uh, asked his local bank, like, could I do my banking without having to look at the gay flag? And this guy received a notice back from the bank manager terminating his bank accounts mm-hmm. because he didn't want to see a gay uh, flag when he opened his banking. Like, think about that. Like, I can't even go and pay bills online without being exposed to the ideology. I can't walk into my bank without seeing pictures, posters of gay couples on the wall. I can't walk in without seeing the women's initiative or black entrepreneur, like literally giving money to people based upon their mm-hmm. melatonin levels. Uh, is that the right word? Melanin? Yeah. Melanin maybe? Skin color? Yeah. Um, so the, these are... These are the things that now we're experiencing in the banks. And I think what's, what's going to happen is people are going to have to, unless you, unless you just don't care and you're okay with funding banks that spend the interest they earn on your money 
on promoting these godless hedonistic ideologies, go to credit unions. Mm -hmm. And if those credit unions go left, start new ones and maybe just get out of the banking industry. And, um, you know, if wealth, I'd like to see wealthy, wealthy, uh, people come together and start like private mortgage, private funding companies. The Shia Muslims do it, other groups do it, where they, they help fund each other's mortgages and they, you know, they pool their money for these kinds of resources. But again, Christians are sometimes so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly value. They don't actually think of, they don't care. Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna keep going and buying coffee at a place that sticks a gay flag uh, sticker on my cup and that considers itself a third space. I just don't care. I'm just gonna keep banking at a place and funding a place that, promotes these godless dehumanizing ideologies. They just don't care. I'm gonna keep shopping at places. And I know it's almost impossible to go, you know, completely cold turkey off this stuff, but at least start to make some mm -hmm. steps in that uh, direction. There, there's nothing, by the way, more exclusive and discriminatory than these supposed pro-inclusivist groups. They're not inclusive at all. They hate you. They hate us and our ideologies. This is why it's the pro-hate group. They can't stand what we're about. They get furious at what we're about. But they try to pretend as if they're the, the you know, the love is love crowd and they're anything but. So we need to be strategic and realize that even the banks are corrupted. This is one of their strategies, take over the financial institutions. It almost sounds like some crazy conspiracy theory. It's a fact. Mm -hmm. I, I would dare you, if you don't believe me, go online and just Google all the banks that, that are in your area, the major banks. I, I doubt you're gonna find one that doesn't have this kind of language on their site. Mm -hmm. Yeah, several years ago, my wife and I realized that and pulled away from <clears throat> TD Bank because it was just in your face. But it is, it's incredibly hard. Credit unions are the one though, that seem to be at least the more locally based credit sure. unions. There's some- uh, Well, I know you're a multimillionaire, so I can yeah, borrow money from you. Exactly. You don't even need a bank. You are Whatever. my bank. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. Okay. So how about businesses? Um, we, I know we were talking earlier today about the ESG scores. Yeah. Can you talk about that? So another strategy and tactic they use is to put, think about this. They put incredible pressure on businesses to advertise for them for free. <laughs> and the way they do that is they, one of the mechanisms is these ESG scores where corporations are encouraged to consider the, the environment, the social governance. So ESG, environment, social governance when making business or financial decisions. And you can even get certified, you know, as a, an ESG compliant business or corporation. So whether you're selling vegetables or running a bank or in human services or whatever it might be, the cool thing, remember as a kid, we used to lose, use the word cool, right? You're a cool guy, you're a cool cat. You wanted to, meaning you want to be in the in crowd. Well, we don't, it's, I guess it's not cool to say cool anymore, but I'll use that language anyway. It's cool to be ESG compliant. That's the cool thing. And you, what to do that, you have to subscribe to a set of standards so that your investors or your customers know that you're truly woke, mm -hmm. truly woke. And ESG stuff, ESG scores are based upon the woke agenda. So supporting the climate agenda, globalism, the WEF type stuff, cultural Marxism, feminism, uh, the use of ner, ne, nem, ze, zer, pronouns. This is the cool thing to do. If you wanna be cool, you gotta have your pronouns out there, right? You gotta announce to the world that these are your pronouns because it's not self-evident that you're a male or female. 
they promote inclusion or indigenous issues or seek to redefine the family like the BLM movement does, pretending to care about black people. It's all about cultural Marxism. It's about it's about getting Christianity and Christian principles out of law, education, culture. It's about uh, everyone running around apologizing for the sins of your forebears. It's about, that's how you get your atonement nowadays in this new religion, right? So ESG is almost like your sacrament. It's your means of grace. Uh, marching in the pride parade, sticking a flag on on your customer's merchandise. This is this is your sacrament. This is how you express contrition and repentance to the almighty state, to the to the gods of this neo-pagan utopian world that we're all living in, to the gods of woke. It's like you have to, this is your your sacrament. And um, there's, there's a lot of tie-ins there that um, we need to think about. So every, um, pretty much every institution in society has corporations or businesses or institutions within it that have been hijacked for this progressivist agenda. And in terms of setting standards based upon God's eternal laws, God's word, no, that's not cool. That's not cool. That's, that's colonialism or that's uh, oppressive or that's, that's misogynistic or whatever word they want to throw out at you. So there's a, there's a, they're very well organized. Uh, Christians and right-leaning people generally aren't terribly organized. There's some exceptions to that, and there's been some changes. But they, they are full bore, all eight cylinders, or all electric vehicle power, whatever you measure that, ahead. <laughs> all four motors. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they're moving forward really fast to try to hijack the, the social institutions and then force those social institutions to pay for advertising to highlight whatever agenda and they're all they're all kind of they all kind of converge right mm -hmm. if someone's marching in a BLM rally you're going to see them at the gay pride rally if they're marching in that you're going to see them with the orange uh, indigenous um, issue sh shirts yeah. on it all converges and are we opposed to racism yeah we are do we believe in uh, the ontological equality of men and women? Yeah. Do we believe that residential schools are awful? Yeah. But that's not our our view on those things is very different than the left. It's mm -hmm. it's a completely different starting point, and it's they're going in a completely different different direction. Mm -hmm. Now we have chatted before. Um, they the left loves to use moral language, yep. which is bizarre in one sense. But why is that bizarre? Why is it odd? They love to use moral language and then reinvent it to express moral outrage to anyone who questions their message. So they twist it. So Trudeau said a while ago in one of his videos that the vast majority of Canadians have stepped up, have been there to get themselves vaccinated, to protect their loved ones, to protect frontline workers. Notice all the, uh, the appeal to goodness and morality that if you want to be a good little boy, you have to get vaccinated. Like that's, that's the way to, to be considered that if you actually love healthcare workers, you're going to get vaccinated. If you don't get vaccinated, you don't love healthcare workers. Mm -hmm. If you don't get vaccinated, you're not a good citizen. You're not part of the majority. You're not part of the cool crowd. You're not one of the ones that's invited to sit at the lunch table, right? This is this, this same notion of social pressure that we experience as children being applied by the government. Even in, in this EA inquiry, 
again, the, 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 the moderator there leaned over to one of the guys and said like, why, why would you block the bridge, man? Like, and I'm just summarizing. He didn't say man, but why, like, why would you block the bridge? Like, and again, it wasn't never a full blockade. That's false. But why would you block the bridge? And sidebar, they didn't ask the same question of the indigenous people to block the railroads. But anyway, back to the point. Why did you block the bridge? Like, don't you realize people's lives are on the line? And you're thinking to yourself, um, <laughs> I'm having trouble not to laugh here. Um, because we're not allowed to cross it? Um, because you blocked the bridge for months? With multiple lockdowns, so that ninety percent of the population or more couldn't cross. Like, what are you? What planet are you on? Are you kidding me? We're not allowed to cross the bridge, but it's so dishonorable for us to be there protesting at a bridge that we're not allowed to cross. Like, what? It's like saying to a bunch of people, "Okay, you and you are allowed to go in the hospital and get your wounds taken care of, but you and you can't." And then when the people that can't stand at the doors and say, just wait, what's wrong? We're going to protest. Oh, you're the bad guys. Like you should know better. You should step back and allow some people in and, you know, just take it on the chin. This is how absurd this is that they, they try to use moral language. They try to publicly, publicly shame people that advocate for liberty or God's laws or true equality or true justice. They cancel you if if you um, disagree, so it's like we're gonna we're gonna steal your the funds you've donated to go go fund me, or we're going to mm -hmm. we're gonna freeze your bank accounts, right? Because that wreaks havoc and terror upon people. Uh, now, I do believe in canceling on a certain level. Block the fool. Don't let, don't listen to the fool's folly. If someone's being a, a fool on Facebook and just attacking, attacking, just just block them. Don't 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 allow the fool to have a voice. But cancel culture is not like that. Cancel culture is if you challenge that which is evil, you're gone, mm -hmm. and they control that. So they pretend to make the the they pretend to take the moral high ground. But in order to take the moral high ground, they have to create a moral high ground, which is actually just a manure pile. And they get up on the the manure pile, and they're very unkind, and they bully, and they intimidate, and they threaten. But they try to present themselves as if they they have the moral high ground, like. Why would you uh, attend a protest at the bridge? Like, don't you care for the Ford workers? Don't you care for the Chrysler workers? Don't you care for the people who who are growing vegetables in the greenhouse? Oh, you mean the ones that you shut down for months? Mm -hmm. You mean the healthcare workers that you fired? You mean the the police officers, the frontline responders, and the firefighters that you fired because they wouldn't take your shot? Those people? You see how it's a spin? It's a spin on truth. But the elitists love to pat each other on the back, right? So they're all kind of in bed together uh, and they all pat each other on the back and they all affirm each other and they control the systems and they're incredibly oppressive. Mm -hmm. And 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 then if you push back, well, you're triggered. Oh, we're triggering the right, the far right. You know, they're, they're triggered. Um, we don't fear these people, by the way. We just pity them because they're ignorant and they need to repent and until they repent, their eyes won't be open to the truth. So all of this, Chris, the good thing about all of this is it illustrates the myth of spiritual neutrality. It, in, it illustrates the myth of secularism's neutrality. Everybody has a moral foundation. Ours is God's. And the good thing about acknowledging that God is the moral foundation is God actually also is interested in bettering humanity. 
So when you affirm God, God is glorified and humanity is blessed. The opposing worldviews affirm the authority of humanity to try to bless themselves and God is denigrated and then they end up messing themselves over anyway because we just, we're not our own engineers and we don't know how to live life without God and we end up messing everything up. So we degenerate. We are degenerates, but we also degenerate society when we cast God out and try to rule it on our own, which is philosophically and theologically what's happening in culture. Mm -hmm. Okay, the last thing before we finish, um, talk to us about language and how they like to control language and labels. The language that the left uses is slippery language. So one of the most overused words these days is, is hate. So if I, if I hate you, Chris, you may or may not ever know that. Or if you hate me, I may or may not ever know that. Now, if I hate you and then I take a tie iron, tire iron and hit you with it or try to take your life or attack you, I would rightly be penalized by the state for the violence I've inflicted upon you. And in all of human history, that's how it worked. If I hit you, assaulted you, stole your stuff, then I have committed, objectively speaking, a criminal act and a moral act, and I'm penalized for that. Now, in the church, we also call people to live by the fruits of the Spirit. So a person can be disciplined for sinful actions, and a person can be disciplined for sinful be, uh, motives. But where you see the the um, the, the uh, religious nature of the state is what they've done is, while historically the state didn't regard motive too much, it's like whether you hate someone or don't hate someone, it's just not relevant. Did you, did you do wrong? Did you break the law? Did you, did you steal? Did you assault? And you would penalize a person based upon their behavior, not based upon their motives. But the state has become religious, and now they've become the arbiters of what, of, of motives. So they somehow are able to determine and decide that if you put up your hand and say, um, actually, uh, God's word is um, solely and exclusively in favor of heterosexuality, here's the reasons why, and here's why it's great, and blah, blah, blah. Oh, you automatically hate people that choose another lifestyle. Well, you may hate them or you may not hate them, but how do you even know that? But we've we've now created these organizations that use this non-objective, non-definable language. Even the word pride is a, is a subjective thing. It's a pride movement, and the, the opponents are haters. So we have the anti-hate networks that are saying, if you, if you say this or if you do that, you must hate people. Or if you oppose someone, another word would be phobic. So phobic is from the word fear, and fear is also an emotion. So now all of a sudden, they know what you're thinking and they know what you're feeling and they know where your heart's at. And if you speak out against anything, you're hateful or you're, you're phobic, which is like, seriously, like find better language. How about we disagree morally and authoritatively on many, many, many things vehemently. So the, the, what they do is they try to control language and what it does is it puts people on the offensive because, or the defensive. Because if you say, Chris, are you transphobic? That's just kind of like uh, no, I, I'm not. I'm not afraid. Are you? Are you a hate-filled man? Oh, no, I'm not afraid. The the correct answer to that is my motives are irrelevant actually in public dialogue and discourse. 
my motives are irrelevant in 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 law like my be judge my behavior if i'm taking life stealing things whatever it might be judge that but you're not god this isn't the the government isn't uh, composed of a bunch of uh, omniscient religious high priests that can judge and evaluate my motives you have no capacity to do that so they 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 pull that stunt and of course, many Christians have bought into it. Oh, well, we believe in love. We don't want to be known as hate-filled people or phobic. And actually, some of, some fellow Christians have have contributed to this lie by saying, "Well, our resistance to statism, for example, is a bad testimony." Well, what does that mean? Essentially, if love your neighbor is the fundamental stall, good Christian testimony, you're not loving. Well, what are you then? You're hateful, or you're phobic, or you're just a bad person. So get your act together. Um, and then, of course, there's the the language of disinformation and misinformation, which is rarely defined. Um, you're a conspiracy theorist. The new uh, uh, leader, actually, it's not new, but the leader of the NDP party in Alberta, I see her on Twitter all the time. We're pro-science. Uh, her opponent, the conservatives, is anti-science. Like, really? Well, you don't think we like science because we uh, object to an experimental failing vaccine, seriously? Like we're not allowed to question that. We're anti-science when we happen to appreciate the fact that hundreds of physicians and um, vaccinologists and epidemiologists and nurses have also objected to it and you fired them or you canceled them. Like that's anti-science? No, it's not. This is not about science. This is about political science. Mm -hmm. and. So um, those are just the kind of things we need to be aware of. They love to create language that puts you on the defensive. You're far right. You're phobic. You're, uh, you know, you're guilty of hate speech. We're going to judge your motives. You know what? It's all smoke and mirrors. Let's get back to the issues and have a robust debate about the things that actually matter. Mm -hmm. So what is then, based on all of this, there's obviously quite a lot of strategy that the left employs yeah. in multiple spheres. What is your word to Christians, your final words? Yeah, aside from the few little pointers I've given throughout this podcast, I think on a high level, we need to stop being so inconsistent as Christians. This The dualism of just focusing on heaven and being completely disinterested with, with what's going on on earth is not reflective of the broad ethic of Scripture. It's not reflective of the nature of our, our own humanity. And we're certainly not even being consistent when we concern ourselves with individual physical matters, but we don't concern ourselves at all with societal physical matters. Material would maybe be mm -hmm. a better word. We're concerned with caring for ourselves materially in this life, but we're, we seem to be disconcerned with the material world around us. And even if you just look at Jesus, Jesus was concerned with the physical world and met people's needs and confronted authority. And apostles like Paul went on to appeal to courts and judiciaries and righteousness and logic to uh, bring about an acknowledgement of the kingship of Christ over all of creation. So we need to we need to concern ourselves with what's going on in culture. And a lot of this is a word war, so we have to speak back, like whether you're doing it on a podcast or a sermon or just your social media tweets or private conversations, get involved in the battle. 
our benevolent creator is king of kings. He made a spiritually charged claim to be king of kings and lord of lords. That continues to offend people in the now, just like it did back in the first century. But we press for it because we think it's true and right, and God is worthy of being acknowledged as king of kings and lord of lords, and even his opponents will benefit from it if they finally surrender and submit to that. So we also want to make sure we're putting... um, you know, we're adequately engaging in strategy. So I would encourage people, I mean, it's not like I can do it all, but people need to form political organizations and, um, you know, ethically based financial institutions and ethically based schools and, you know, ethically make sure that your church is ethically based and actually grounded and founded in God's eternal laws. And then live it out in your marriage and your family. Show the superiority of of the, the the Christian worldview in terms of raising kids, and in terms of marriage, and in terms of economics, and in terms of business. These other these other ideologies fail. Whether it's uh, communism or Marxism or socialism, they fail. Uh, lots of proof that uh, children that um, are raised in a loving, nurturing home with mom and dad are blessed by that. And every other social experiment is a disaster. And then finally, just trust in the Lord and pray that God would do what we can't do and uh, bring about repentance. And he is doing that. We've had many people come out of wokeism and these false ideologies and repent and accept Jesus Christ and they're filled with joy and they have a new sense of true liberty and freedom that they maybe didn't think they could have by following Christ, but they found that. So that that's an exciting, um, you know, thing to witness. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, Aaron. Thanks for taking us behind the scenes, kind of or behind enemy lines to see the strategy. Hopefully our listeners have been blessed by that and can start thinking strategically about their life and kind of in uh, increasingly larger circles, start with their own household and increasingly bigger, how to strategically live under the Lordship of Christ in all ways. Uh, Thank you for listening to the podcast. Make sure to share this episode, rate the episode and the podcast as a whole. A reminder that you can listen to this podcast on the CJXC radio two times a week, as well as over on the Fight, Laugh, Feast app. Make sure to download that, as well as on Pastor Aaron's personal blog, pursuitofglory.org. Lots of places to listen to it and to share it from, so make sure to do that. And then we hope you'll tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Brock.